Glory to Jesus Christ. Glory In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. This morning in the Gospel, we encounter the rich young ruler who is seeking after eternal life. And our Lord tells him, you know the commandments, and he goes through them. Do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. It's probably the one that most of us forget because the other ones are a little bit more obvious to us, but there it is. Honor your father and mother, the same level as do not commit adultery and do not murder. And the rich young ruler says, I've done all these things. But our Lord discerns in him one thing lacking. That's why we call him the rich young ruler. He has stored up for himself, himself, not treasure in heaven, but he's got a lot of things here on earth. Those who hear what our Lord has to say, that it is hard for those with riches to enter the kingdom of God, they say, who then can be saved? But our Lord says, the things which are impossible with men, they are possible with God. The question that arises from this gospel, among many that may come up, one of them should be the question, where are our treasures? Where have we stored up? Where have we punched in the time card? Where are our heart's desires set? Once we've answered that question or attempted to answer that question, we may say, we may need to change bank accounts or we need to shift some money around here because we realize that our treasures are not typically laid up in heaven. We have to ask ourselves, how can we be rich towards God? How can we begin storing up treasures for ourselves in heaven? And the church has something to offer us. There is this word, we don't use it very much in modern parlance. I don't think we use say modern parlance very often either. <laughs> and this is the word piety. When you think of the word piety, what do you usually think of? I honestly think of when I hear the word piety, I kind of it's like saccharine, it's kind of sweet. There's something about it, maybe a, a, an equivalent I heard growing up. It's kind of the analog, the, the cousin to maybe something like a Bible thumper. There's something about piety that, or precious memories. I don't even know if you're familiar with that. There's this kind of saccharine sweetness to piety. And if we were to say that person's kind of pious, that doesn't usually mean that we are saying something nice. Now, maybe you here at St. Anne's, you will say things like this. They're very pious, and you mean something very positive. But if you were to go out into the world and use the word piety or pious, you might even get a few scratches on the head and try and remember, what is that word? That seems like maybe I read it in Dickens or something. Mm-hmm. Piety. In ancient Rome, pietas or those who know Latin, I probably just butchered the pronunciation of that. I didn't study Latin. But piety was one of the great virtues of ancient Rome. So much so that it actually ended up on the coinage of Rome. 
where if you're going to go buy something, you'll have emblazoned uh, pietas. You have piety written on the coin and have different images of piety because ancient Rome knew the importance of religion, the importance of piety. One of those Roman coins, the image is with a man walking. He's got another man like up on his back. It's not St. Christopher, but it's Aeneas from the Iliad, or maybe you know him from Virgil's poem, the Aeneid. It is the image of Aeneas coming out from the smoldering walls of Troy after the siege. And you know who he has on his back? Does anyone remember this? His father is on his back. His old father, who needs help. And in the poem, he also has his son by the hand and his wife is following him. Because Aeneas, while he's a side character in the Iliad, he becomes, according to Virgil's Aeneid, the father of Rome. And we have this coin, this image from the, say like, the meta-text of the ancient, ancient world, the key, like the Bible of Greco-Roman society, the Iliad, and then later the Aeneid, you have this image of piety. It's not what you would maybe think, piety. There are other coin images where you have an empress or an emperor burning incense, doing what you would associate with religion. But we have here Aeneas with his father on his back. Piety is not saccharine, sweet, uh, precious moments, memories, those kind of... That's not what piety was in the ancient world. So we need to kind of scrape all of that excess or uh, sweetness off. Piety was religious duty. And it was not religious duty just for yourself. And I think that's the other thing that comes with piety. We usually think of devotions or like quiet time with Jesus as being pious. But in the ancient world, where the word piety has its roots, it was about duties and responsibilities, not just to yourself and to the gods, but to your family, to your society, to all those around you. So piety was not individualistic. Piety was not just about internal thoughts or feelings. Piety was what you did. Piety was making sure that you honored your father, that you put him on your back and you walked out of a war zone. That was piety. The church has always offered us various ways for us to be pious. Today, we commemorate one of those particular avenues of piety. We commemorate the veneration of the chains of St. Peter. In the gospel text, we have our Lord, when the woman comes to touch just the hem of his garment, feel power go out from him. When we get to the book of Acts, we see God's presence and healing through pieces of cloth, through people wanting to even be in the shadow of the apostles. And we have in the 12th chapter of Acts, 
Peter, because he's, of course, like our Lord, uh, in the great succession of prophets before that, has made upset the local ruler, Herod Agrippa. And so he has thrown Peter in jail. And to make sure that Peter's not going to get anywhere, he has him chained to soldiers on his right and on his left. This was like maximum security prison protocol. I'm sure you've seen it on the show, right? Like on shows, you get he's completely locked in. There's no way he's going to get out. Except God has other plans. An angel comes. Peter is freed. And then he goes to visit a household where they think that it is either the girl who answers the door, that she's crazy, she's lost it, like how in the world could that be Peter? And then a second guess, and this is another evidence of the belief of personal angels, guardian angels, they think maybe it's just his angel has come. Peter's out on the street, banging on the door still, saying, let me in, and they finally let him in. The tradition of the church is that the chains that were holding Peter were kept by local Christians and that these were venerated because of the miracle that occurred. They actually end up in Constantinople and they end up in Rome. So we're almost like coming with Aeneas. I did not plan this, but Aeneas, Troy is close to Constantinople and Aeneas ends up in Rome. So we end up today with Peter who his chains in Rome, and of course, as the bishop of Rome, but you also have his chains in Constantinople. And the church has always put before us particular relics or items for veneration. One of the avenues of piety in the church is a great devotion to the saints, to the friends of God, those whom God has visited, those whom God has worked miracles and wonders and the answer to many prayers. This is why in the church we have pilgrimages, because you want to go and visit the holy sites, not just the Holy Land, but if you were to go in different places in Greece, Palestine, Egypt, Ukraine, Romania, Russia, Serbia, etc., etc., old France, Spain, you will have dedicated shrines, old paths of veneration, even places where the rock has been smoothed out, you know, weighted down because of the knees or the amount of kissing that has occurred on particular places because of the devotion of the pilgrims. We have in America, we have holy sites. We have Alaska, where St. Herman dwelled. We have particular churches. The church, Antiochian church in Brooklyn, was just renamed for St. Raphael. It had been St. Nicholas, the cathedral there. The street, even the local city, renamed the street for St. Raphael. We have St. Tikhon's in Pennsylvania. That is the longest uh, historic Orthodox monastery in this world. And they have icons, that wonder-working icons of St. Anne. They have relics. They have, for example, if you were to go to Alaska to visit St. Herman, 
you would not only be venerating St. Herman, but you'd be venerating the cross that he wore. The church has always given us these paths for the pursuit of holiness, the pursuit of building up treasures in heaven. This is why the church encourages us, since we are still within the, I'll say the ambit or the orbit of theophany, why the church blesses water so that we can consume water, not just uh, as good as a great practice that we do of blessing people for travel, but someone uh, recent to us, St. Luke of Crimea, heavily, who was a doctor, heavily encouraged the regular consumption of holy water. This is why if you read the fathers, they talk about if you're struggling with a particular passion or something, that you hold vigils. Vigils means staying up late and reading prayers. Or that means coming to the vigils that we have here for the great feast of the church. The church gives us prostrations. The church encourages us to pray for the dead and to do that regularly, giving us specific Saturdays in which to remember those who have passed. The church as encourages us the pious activity of almsgiving, which would probably have helped the rich young ruler to have the practice of almsgiving, giving away the things that you have. The church encourages various forms of prayer, akathists, even giving us a schedule to read the Psalms. The focus of the historic church has always been on the sacramental life, the pious activity of the faithful, and the attention to the body of Christ. Piety in the old sense is not just for grandmothers, for clergy, or for monastics. It has been a presumed part of every Christian's life. It is tradition embodied. It's not an idea. It's what you do. When I was in Moscow about, has that been a year and a half ago now? No, it's been longer than that. There is a recent saint, St. Matrona, whom we have an icon here over in this window. And we arrived, I think it was 8.30, 9 o'clock in the morning to visit her relics. And there, has, there was a line around the church that had been there since before the sun had come up of people. And this was like a Tuesday morning. This was not Sunday or Saturday. This was Tuesday morning. There was a line of people around the church. And then when we were brought into the church, because we were with the bishop, we kind of got VIP access. Because otherwise we'd have to stand in line for four or five hours. The church was full. It's 8.30 in the morning on a Tuesday. Now granted, that's Moscow. We're in Oak Ridge. There's a difference. There's thousands and thousands and thousands, tens of thousands of Orthodox Christians. But it is an example that you can see an encouragement that there is in the very heart of the church a devotion to the saints. The development of piety. The epistle this morning Paul gives a list of virtues, crowning them with love. And then he gives an exhortation to the faithful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. St. John Chrysostom, in his homily on this passage, when he hears Paul say, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, he waxes poetic about the need for scripture to dwell in 
not just dwell in you, but to dwell richly in all wisdom. And then he asked the faithful, this is St. John Chrysostom, this is the cause of all evils, not knowing the scriptures. We go into battle without arms, and how are we to come out safe? One of the basic pious activities that the church encourages us to do is the reading, the richly dwelling, which I would encourage then memorization of scripture. St. John Chrysostom goes on. He says, I entreat you, I implore you, all you that are careful for this life. And by that, he means those who are attentive to their soul. Procure books that will be medicines for the soul. If you will not have any other, at least get the New Testament, the apostolic epistles, the book of Acts, the gospels for your constant teachers. If grief befall you, dive into them as into a chest of medicines, scripture as your medicine cabinet. Take comfort of your trouble, be it loss, be it death bereavement of relationships, troubles in relationships. Do not dive into them merely, but let them take you wholly. Keep them in your mind. The tradition, pious tradition of the church to form us to develop those treasures in heaven is underlining the importance of spiritual reading, primarily the scriptures, but also the writings of the Holy Fathers. For it is the writings of the Holy Fathers that help us to understand Scripture. St. Paul goes on. Teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. The importance of a pious practice of psalmody and of hymns is incredibly important. As those who have grown up in the church, you know the hymns as they're coming. You know when you get to Holy Week, we're looking for the Noble Joseph, or we're looking for the hymn of Cassiani. We're, we are uh, having those melodies, those words within our minds and within our heart. Chrysostom, when he comes to this passage, he goes on and on, as Chrysostom does, with the Psalter as the key. And he turns to parents. And he talks about, parents, your responsibility. I'm thinking also of Aeneas here with his father on his back and holding his son by the hand and leading his wife out of Troy. The Psalter, the memorization, the focus and responsibility of it for parents in training up their children, the Psalter comes first. For St. John Chrysostom talks about hymns and he says, these are for the angels. You need the Psalms first in order to actually be able to sing the hymns. And he goes through what other book tells us, and he quotes from Psalms. I have loved, says he, those that love your law. This man then let us to emulate such, let us love. The Psalms teach chastity. My loins, is a quote from the Psalms, my loins are filled with illusions. And again, the Psalms say, you will utterly destroy everyone that goes a whoring away from you. They ought to be above, the children should be, ought to be above the illusion of money. Here again, we come to the rich young ruler. From the Psalms, if riches become abundant, set not your heart upon them. 
St. John Chrysostom says they help us to not envy the wicked. A quote from the Psalms, Be not envious against them that work unrighteousness. Knowledge of the Psalms, knowledge of your prayer book, devoted prayer shapes not only you and your heart, but our youth, and it grounds all of us who are older. As we say in the wedding service, the prayers of parents make firm the foundations of houses. St. Paul ends his exhortation with singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. There is nothing possibly more embodied than the singing of hymns to bring together our heart, our mind, our lips, and the words that come off of them to shape our imagination, our emotions, to have them shaped especially by the hymns of the church, to sing them in your homes, in your cars, and not just at the church. St. John Chrysostom says, even if you don't belt them out in the market or the supermarket, you can have them within your heart. So brothers and sisters, as we look to the chains of St. Peter, as we remember the image of piety, Aeneas with his father on his back, his son in his hand, and his wife following him, let us seek out the old paths of piety. Let us pick up or try to renew or rekindle some practices maybe that we've let by. It is still January. We still have a chance for uh, some new practices to be uh, put before us in the new year. Memorize a psalm or a passage of scripture. Choose a saint to love, to come to know, to implore. Plan a pilgrimage. Look to an open monastery. Pray for your dead. Do not forget those days of memorial. Do not forget also if you take in, this is just a little practical, a prosphora into the altar. Don't forget it. Take it home. Almost every Sunday we have a prosphora sitting alone, little prosphora waiting for their owner to come and take them. And the children gobble them up. Take it home. That is to be eaten throughout the week to be a continuation of the Eucharistic sacrifice, of remembrance of those that you're praying for. Take holy water home. Get a container. Before you sit down for your coffee or your meal, after your prayers, take a little drink of holy water and ask for God to cleanse you of your sins, to renew your baptism. Let us make firm the foundations of our homes Let us look to the pious example, the wisdom of the church in shaping our piety. For while it might be impossible with us, all things are possible with God. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.